Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is managing editor James Kleiman to talk about mortgage rates hitting a 20-year high and increasing repurchase rates. James, welcome back to the podcast. Good to be back. Thank you. Good to have you back, but I wish we had a better topic to talk about because, wow, mortgage rates, what is going on there? So what is going on is really a continuation of what's been going on for the last couple months. And so we just had the Freddie Mac weekly mortgage rate survey come out. Uh, according to Freddie Mac, their numbers for the past week were about 7.31% on a you know standard 30-year fixed rate mortgage. And again, like I think it bears repeating that we're assuming that somebody has a 20% down payment and that they have really sterling credit. And these days, a lot of prospective buyers don't have that. It's really kind of a market of the haves and the have-nots where you have a lot of wealthier, uh, opportunistic buyers out there who can make it work and, and in some cases decide we're not even going to do a mortgage because the costs have just gotten so out of whack. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you see a lot of buyers that really just can't make these numbers work, uh, especially they run into problems with the DTI and only down payment assistance or you know other means of helping get across the proverbial finish line when it comes to home ownership. And so, you know, when we talk about the seven point three one percent figure, that's even low. So typically the Freddie Mac numbers are a little laggy. You know, they're usually a couple days behind or or sometimes a little bit more behind what we're actually seeing today on the ground. So what I'm hearing uh, quotes at you know various lock desks and and uh, you know people issuing loans today is we're closer to seven six seven seven uh, again and and these are borrowers that generally have really good credit and and are still thinking about making that move obviously right um, that's really high we're we're looking at levels no one has seen in more than twenty years and. We may not be done yet. Uh, I, I wish I could say there were better news on the horizon or there were reasons to be optimistic that we have finally hit the peak and we're going to start a even a slow deceleration of mortgage rates and, and they'll start ticking down into the low sevens and then the high sixes and so on and so forth. But you look at the tenure, you look at uh, what the bond investors are digesting and I don't see a lot of people that expect rates to be down into the sixes even for months, right? I mean, at, at this rate, I think pretty much everyone is waiting, waiting for the Federal Reserve to not just signal that their fight against inflation has been successful, uh, but that there are so many economic metrics to suggest that we're on the verge of breaking the economy, so to speak. And that now is the time to not just stay flat, um, but actually start cutting. And I don't think anyone expects cuts until, well, one, either we find out very quickly that they actually did break something and, and you know, there's they're just sort of a longer tail to it. Or um, more likely is that they start assessing the data month to month and sometime in maybe Q2 of next year, they say, okay, you know, it's time, it's time to... Uh, 
time to reverse course and start cutting. But for so many mortgage professionals, for real estate agents, and for prospective buyers, I mean, that is just, that is a long, long way away. Uh, I, I struggle to see some participants in the market being able to stretch out resources until the second quarter of 2024. And then from the consumer perspective, you know, we're already hearing from lenders that say, you know, we're, we're seeing, uh, seeing buyers just drop out, even, even though they had, you know, everything ready, they were ready to go, they were comfortable in the low sevens, but there's actually a world of difference between 7.0% and 7.7%. You know, at 7.0, a lot of buyers were already at kind of like, this is my max, right? Like you ever watch House Hunters and they're like, okay, well, our max is, uh, you know, 450,000, but, you know, maybe there's a little room for negotiation. And then the other member of the couple says, no, absolutely, 450 is the max. And then they end up buying a house at 480, right? In this case, I mean, 7.7 would be the difference between going from like 480 as a you know a proper max to like 625. And just, you know, people can't swing that considering where house prices remain and, and they're not going to drop much either. I think that's really the key here because you will always have somebody when we're having this discussion that will chime in and be like, ah, oh, rates used to be so much higher. You know, they were 8%, they were 12%, they were 15%. Great. But- um, you know, house prices were so much lower then. So it's it's really not a, a fair comparison. And this is the really conundrum that we find ourselves in is it's very unusual to have high rates and then and then see home prices rise at the same time that rates are going up. This is just why it's such an unprecedented time and just devastating for our industry. You know, the average home in the year 2000 when rates were this high was in the 100s. Today, we're what about a three to four times that at minimum. Uh, and and it's just, you know, although there are a lot of Americans that have good jobs and uh, the economy has been quite resilient, that's just not achievable. And, you know, we, we go back to, I, I think, really the start of all this. And you look at the beginning of the pandemic and so many people, and good for them, they did what was right for their situation, for their families. They managed to buy the house. They managed to get a mortgage at, you know, the 2%, 3% range. And you just don't see a lot of fluidity. You don't see a lot of liquidity in the market. And I just don't expect, unless you start seeing more home builder activity in other sections of America, uh, you know, we're even seeing signs of the home builders saying, oh, you know what, uh, seven point whatever percent rates, they suck for us too. <laughs> and, and you know, they, they don't want to be eating as much of the apple when they're trying to get rates artificially down in the mid fives to spur home ownership. They don't want to cut their margins that deeply. Uh, and so they're starting to to kind of feel that sentiment drop a little bit. You know, it's below 50 on the uh, on, on the NH. NAHB's scale for the first time in like, I think it's like five or six months, you know? And so we're, we're finally starting to see pessimism hit the home builders, which are generally, you know, a lot better insulated as, as market participants than pretty much anybody else, you know? And I think uh, even, even if they were not willing to take a hit from, you know, a 27% margin down to, let's say a 15% margin, they're definitely not going to take it down to uh, to ten percent, which is really what you need to spur if you're looking at 
a borrower at the, let's say for argument's sake, seven, seven to get two full basis points out of them. I mean, we're talking like thirty, forty thousand dollars in incentives. Uh, and and even home builders don't want to do that. I, I think they'll just start slowing some of their production, right? So new home starts are gonna they're they're going to we've already seen the trend of, of them slowing down a bit. That's going to be a much bigger problem six months from now, one year from now. I think the interesting thing is that, um, you know, we talk about the Fed breaking something. They've already broken housing. I mean, if you think that this has not already fundamentally changed our industry. And then, like you said, even people this time last year that were like, okay, they're making their plans. No one thought that from last year to uh, at this time to this uh, year at this time that we would be facing this kind of these kind of interest rates at this point. And, and earlier in the year, it was like, okay, you know, people are really making plans. Like, how do I, how do I make it through this first six months? How do I make it for this, through this first nine months? If you're saying, and you know, you're, you're not the only one, right? Like if, if we're looking at this being a uh, continual in the high sevens, it's just hard to see how many of the people who are left. So we've already seen a huge, you know, restructuring a huge, huge reset, if you will, a housing reset. It's hard to see how people, besides just the very biggest lenders, are able to do it. Yeah. And on Monday, Garth Graham of Stratmore Group put out, you know, some some industry analysis and, and Garth's take is a lot of these lenders have actually been too sentimental and they haven't got nearly at the rate that they need to to actually remain, not even remain, get in the black in some cases. And you know, he, he's looking down the pike and saying, what does this industry look like in six months if you continue to see the sales pace? So if we look at pending home sales, which is generally a very good measure of what we're going to actually see when homes close three, four months down the line, that was down about 8% from July, which was down from June, right? Are you starting to see a trend here? And then you also have to take into consideration how bad this is from last year around this time, seasonally, when conditions were objectively better, even though rates were considered elevated, you know, it, it, they were still in the in the sixes. And that was already a period with which we didn't see a lot of movement in that market, right? And so if you're a mortgage lender and you've been saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, keep a couple eggs in this basket and I'm going to wait until things get really bad, it's always difficult to strategize when you have precious resources in an uncertain market, how many of them already wasted those eggs, how many of them maybe only have one left, and they still have another two quarters, three quarters at minimum, by which they need to figure out either how to cut significantly, but also retain business. And you know, lead generation is not exactly easy when consumers have very little incentive to move. Um, you really have to hope for some major shifts in, in the market somewhere, either the economy really breaks. I mean, not just housing, right? So housing, you know, they broke that a long time ago and they broke it, I think, uniformly, but in, in unexpected ways. So like the rental market remains near peak, right? The home price across the country remains basically at the peak, uh, but you just have very little transaction volume. Uh, so it's, it's really a very challenging market for participants that need volume, you know, they need a bunch of transactions to succeed. Uh, and, and of course, really anybody but buyers that have uh, significant opportunities ahead of them or just, you know, have life events that come up and, and you can't avoid or maybe have a ton of equity and say, 
the heck with it. Like I'm I'm going to take the leap and and see what that refi market looks like in in two years, in three years. I mean, what's interesting is we just haven't seen arms really uh, jump as much as people expected. We haven't seen a lot of other, uh, you know, it's a pretty unusual thing to see in most markets, but seller financing is something you occasionally see when there's a bad market and especially when there are wholesalers that are gobbling up homes. But you know, we're, we're talking like 1% of the market, right? And, and mortgage assumptions, there's been a lot of ink spilled about these mortgage assumptions, but we're still talking like, I don't even know if it's a full percent of the market that, you know, see these sorts of deals take place. I mean, I, I'm always so curious. I, I ask people in my weekly newsletter and lending life, like, please send me these deals. Like, I, I really want to understand how often these are happening. And, and even though it's anecdotal, um, I, I get the sense that, it's still pretty unusual. There was one in Hawaii uh, a couple months back, and I, I thought that was pretty fascinating, you know. And and there's just not a lot of policy changes that one could expect either that would make a difference. I mean, let let's say you did open up, you know, mortgage assumptions, and and they're able to to work some magic at the FHA and and figure out a system by which they can better compensate lenders and LOs. You figure that's what like. 20% of the mortgage pie right there that you might be able to get a little juice out of, but you still have to convince people of that 20%, hey, this is still worthwhile for you to sell and buy in the same market. And then we're not even talking about Fannie and Freddie because I don't think anyone thinks there's any likelihood that anybody has any interest in really trying to figure out how to crack that nut. Um, because things, if you think things move at a glacial pace at the FHA when it comes to housing policy, like wait till you talk to the GSEs, right? That's, I mean, that we're, we're like years, maybe decades away from even approaching a policy change like that. So it's just, there's no relief really right now. I, I think you probably, if you take a very long lens approach to the mortgage market and housing in general, I think you're still optimistic that there are a ton of millennials out there uh, that are interested. The demand does exist. Maybe it's not active demand, right? I think there are more people that are dropping out of the market than are jumping into it right now. I think that's pretty clear from the data. Um, but you have huge demographic shifts. You have boomers. You know, my parents are in their in their mid to late sixties. A lot of people from from that generation are are going to need other housing situations, or you know, there will be a time when um, we do see more liquidity in the market. We see more transactions. The circle of life, right? I, I try to teach my toddler uh, about you know what what that means and and uh, you know how to think about virtuous circles. We are going to see that, but it might be ten years away. It might be fifteen years away. Um, I don't think rates are going to remain as elevated as they are. At some point, you know, the economy is really going to to break, and we're going to see a major change in in you know workforce formation. We're going to see demographic changes, uh, you know, related to uh, you know different households that form. Uh, but I don't know that we're ever going to have enough, I think, infrastructure to build the housing that we need. And so you're just going to have to wait until that housing turns over. And that could be a long time. 
You know, I'm at the uh, National Association for Hispanic Real Estate Professionals event this week, and it has been very um, interesting sitting in on, uh, to your point on demographics, right? They are going to be the home buyers, and in 15 years, they're going to be the majority of home buyers. They're already a huge um, wave of home buyers that's propping up this industry in many ways, right? They're coming in, um, they're young, they, um, you know, they, I was in a, a luxury market session yesterday, you know, they, they are increasingly, um, you know, buying those kinds of houses and even for, for other kinds of houses, they're doing multi-gen, um, you know, having multiple people on the mortgage, they're doing multi-gen households. They are finding a way and they are one of the true bright spots for the housing industry, you know, just in general, of course, millennials, Gen Z, um, and, and, uh, you know, Hispanic homeowners coming up. So, I mean, the people who hold on, the people who make it through this are going to have a market, right? The people are, they're going to have um, an amazing business. It's just getting between here and there. And we see it. We talk to these people all the time and, you know, we're really rooting for them, right? Because like they're doing hard work. If you're, you know, I, I was at a real estate event last week in New York and talked to someone who is a top producer. She's normally, you know, got tons of things and she had eight buyers and only one of them bought a house because uh, as they were in the process, the interest rates just kept going up and they just got priced out. So, you know, it, it, it affects everybody in the industry. It's from the real estate agents to the loan officers to title and appraisal. I mean, the, the volume just affects everybody. And in, you know, in that context, I would love to bring up, um, you know, the other thing that's really rumbling through the industry right now, and that is those loan repurchases. So in as as rates rise, that becomes just even more painful. Um, you know, we have a, a session at our Housing Wire annual event, which is coming up in two weeks, October 10th through 12th. I have a fireside chat with FHFA director Sandra Thompson, and those are the two of the questions I'm asking her is about that because it just it feels like uh, piling on, right? Um, we also have something the first day um, on that topic because we know like the more rates rise, the more that cuts so deep, and so it feels like you know uh, they just cannot ca- catch a break. Yeah, I mean, if you're a mortgage lender right now and you've survived to this point, and you're you're definitely struggling to make it, given how low volume is it. We look at volume in July when a lot of lenders started making significant layoffs in July. August wasn't much better. September doesn't look better at all. I mean, we're we're now looking at rates at at twenty year plus highs and home prices, uh, you know, higher than ever. Right. So if, if you're a mortgage lender, you're not seeing a lot of volume. In, in those months. And those are generally historically pretty good months, uh, certainly better than the winter, right? And then you add on to the fact that you might get popped for a couple million dollars in loan repurchases, depending on the size or scale of your lender, and you're taking a 20% plus haircut on anything that you're going to have to repurchase. I mean, that's, that's kicking you while you're down. Uh, and depending on who you speak to, uh, you know, people will tell you that if you scrutinize any loan long enough, you're going to find a defect, you're going to find an issue. It's whether these are significant errors that really should raise the the concern of investors. Like, keep in mind, investors are buying these loans. This isn't charity work. And although Fannie and Freddie are facilitating, you know, the, the purchase and then, you know, distribution through securities, 
there is still skin in the game very much. And, and these investors want to make sure that they're buying good loans. And so if your appraisal is like $75,000 off or whatever, right? And depending on the market you're in, let's say you're on the West Coast, you've lost equity. In addition to having an appraisal that maybe didn't quite um, work out, right? Or maybe didn't fit the standard, whatever that may be at the time. Uh, so it's a complicated situation. I wonder if there is a better way to communicate. And and to be clear, it's not like Fannie and Freddie are saying every single loan that they identify is going to have to be repurchased, um, but a significant portion of those loans are, and it's historically higher than it had been. And they haven't even gotten through a lot of the years, right? So they're, they're looking at the pandemic years when a lot of mortgage companies didn't have a fully trained staff. They didn't have their best and brightest. They didn't have enough people in some cases to just process the loans and make sure that every I was dotted and every T was crossed. If we're to look at this period now, after all the layoffs, I guess you could look at it in a couple different ways. One, maybe you have your best people there and you have more time and you're a lot more careful and all of the underwriting guidelines are followed as they should be, and you don't have to worry about a repurchase risk because you're not moving as quickly. You're a little bit more careful than you had been. Um, We're talking about the loans that are being originated over the last basically year and year and a half, right? Um, But maybe you're a lender and you basically cut to the bone. You know, it's no secret that they cut their back office staff, that they cut the underwriters, the processors. Try try to find a a loan processor who uh, hasn't been laid off in, in the last two years, um, not easy. I mean, a, a huge number of jobs have been shed in both the underwriting and, and loan processing departments. When you have major layoffs at any company, there's going to be some communication issues. There are going to be some workflow challenges. And I, I think it would be naive to think that there aren't also going to be some loans that are affected. And so we haven't even talked about the GSEs getting to this batch. They're not even through the pandemic batches. So maybe maybe they're fine. Maybe they're a better quality in underwriting, but maybe they're not. And yeah, it's not like lenders are able to save their money today. You know, they've been spending, they've been selling any MSR that isn't bolted to the ground, right, to free up cash. And, and that's going to be another concern uh, because just the velocity of mortgage servicing rights is getting slower every month, right? Because where's the volume? You just, you haven't seen this kind of volume in more than a year. So um, I, I think we're going to see a lot of attrition in the upcoming year. And uh, I do give a lot of credit to the industry and in being, I guess, resilient. You know, like there, there have been, in my time here doing mortgage-focused coverage since 2020, there have already been a couple cycles. And you talk to, to some of the proverbial graybeards in the industry, and they've seen like every environment you can imagine since, you know, I know guys who, who worked in the savings and loan crisis, right? And that was pretty scary. And so we talk about these crises, um, but so many people in this industry have been through it, understand that it's a cyclical business, and maybe the company declares bankruptcy, and then, you know, a phoenix rises a couple months later, a couple years later, when they find investors, when they find, you know, the ability to put an operating staff together. So I, I don't think the mortgage market, you know, in essence is under threat. I think we're still going to see, uh, you know, a, a pretty healthy number of market participants that are professional 
and have well-trained staff and do it the right way. Um, but I also think we're going to see a lot of those smaller lenders just say, you know, maybe at six and a half percent, I could figure it out. I, I could stretch that dollar, uh, but not at seven and a half percent as we enter winter. So tough, tough sledding ahead, I think. You know, high sevens in this market, just a killer. But I would say like, you know, we talk about, you know, are they are they are they going to uh, break the mortgage market? And you know, of course, the Federal Reserve can do whatever they want. I mean, they're not, you know, it's it's not like um, we, we can complain all we want. Everyone can complain. Who's, you know, they're not elected, they're appointed. They they don't really care. But when I look at FHFA and Fannie and Freddie, what they could do here to make a meaningful difference is address the repurchase loan situation and say, hey, we can't we can't help all these other things, but here's something we can do and we can make it easier to your point. You know, if these are performing loans, if they're not huge defects, like make it easier to get to the resolution, which oftentimes is not repurchase and just cut out that time and, and all the, you know, expense associated with that at such a precarious time in our industry. So that's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm going to be banging the drum about because that is something they can do to help the industry right now. Yeah. And to your point, these are performing loans. You look at the default rate, you look at, you know, the rates of foreclosure on on Fannie and Freddie loans, and it's like, you need a magnifying glass to spot them. These are not, now, that can always change, right? If there is a major, you know, job-related problem in this country, a couple industries get rocked by some external event, you could absolutely see, uh, you know, that that number change quite significantly and quite quickly, but I mean, we're, we're not, there are no problems as of now. And, and these are generally very well um, underwritten loans. You know, we, we just don't see a lot of major obvious, like, oh, uh, that person doesn't have a job and has no savings. Should we have given them a $1.2 million home uh, on the San Andreas fault? You know, like you, you just don't encounter that much these days. Uh, there, we, we haven't even talked about like some of the climate risks associated that aren't, you know, in the underwriting that could represent other problems and, uh, you know, different discussion for a different day, perhaps. But the other thing I think you hear a lot about, and and rightfully so, is is just the question of policing. You know, typically the CFPB is the entity that uh, the mortgage lenders have the most. Um, most to say about let's <laughs> let's put it, um, but it's interesting because when when you talk to the folks at the MBA, some of the other trade groups, the top lenders, they'll tell you they don't want the CFPB to be abolished. They want reforms. They want changes in policy. They want a different way of approaching problem solving, not by just deciding one day, any meeny miny mo, I'm going to go after this entity because they did something that we feel is over the gray line. And there are so many gray areas in mortgage that half of these companies don't know where to step. And is that a responsible way for a government entity to be creating policy? I I think pretty much everybody in the industry would tell you absolutely not. And it's infuriating, maddening, frustrating, most of all, to have to try to telegraph the positions of these you know, regulators that 
in some cases, like don't understand the industries they're they're enforcing as well as they should. So that that is another complaint I hear. But again, like nobody's calling for the CFPB to be abolished outside of maybe maybe some uh, some folks wearing red in, in you know in Capitol Hill. Well, I think the other thing is if you have a weak CFPB, then you just have fifty states who are like, oh, we need to step in and step up our enforcement. So it doesn't do anybody any good if you have a weak CFPB or if they're perceived to be weak or stepping back because you have regulators all over who are like, okay, then we have to come in and and you've just multiplied the problem, right? Um, it's not like oh, those state regulators are so clean. Just as an example, I mean, you talk to folks in the title industry, and and they're much more likely to face regulatory issues from state's attorney generals than they are the CFPB. And depending on where one operates, um, that can be really frustrating. That can be really difficult because one set of policies and functions in, say, Texas is totally kosher or nobody has any problem with it, no issues, no complaints. And then you bring that same practice to, let's say, Pennsylvania, and suddenly, you know, the, the maybe a DA or maybe maybe a state's attorney general says, we're going to go after this because you're, you're harming consumers. And I'm just like, what? How can I be harming consumers here, but not here? It's the same thing. So yeah, very, very frustrating, but, but that's, that's the system we have. That is the system we have. James, we are almost out of time. Thank you for joining me and for walking through this. I know your um, newsroom is looking at mortgage rates every single day, um, talking to people all over the industry and and giving us um, great insight and news and information about this because our industry really needs it. Thank you so much. And, and uh, the newsroom will be at Housing Wire Annual. So I hope to see everybody in Austin in, uh, what is it, 11 days? Yeah, it's so, it's fast. Yeah. Like people need uh, to- I'll, I'll try to find a cowboy hat. <laughs> You okay? So, do you own a cowboy hat? I want to know. I don't. I, I own all other manner of hat. Uh, I do have a bolo tie somewhere, but I don't want to. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that that's my look, and and whether people are going to enjoy <laughs> the bolo tie. So, I, I might just wear some uh, very business casual formal wear, and uh, and I'll see if I can get a bucket hat somewhere in, in Austin. So, if anyone can recommend no, I a, a see- hat store. I want to see the the bolo tie for sure. And I would say just to people listening, our housing wear annual events tend to be more on the business casual side. We have a pickleball tournament. It's going to be, you know, it's Texas. It's not going to be 100 degrees, but it's not going to be exactly cool. And also we're at, we're at this really fun venue that um, is just very Texas casual. So people come hang out, be comfortable and uh, see James in a bolo tie. No, you won't. I promise you won't. <laughs> All right. Thanks, James. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insights.